Ahoy! Hello! Welcome along. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. My name's Dan. You've found the greatest podcast in the history of the universe. I think you've done pretty well there. Uh, This week, we'll talk about a fossil from 70 million years ago. We don't know a lot about it, but what we do know about this creature is it was terrifying. One of the biggest kind of birds of all time. Uh, That's on the way. Also, you can hear about some crashes in space. Also, another rover that's on Mars taking pictures and sending it home. That's coming up. Uh, And I've got your questions as always. Today they're on sweet corn, on cat's eyes, and sick. Kind of gross, but brilliant. Stick around. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Before then, we're headed to the smartest school outside of the solar system. This is Deep Space High. Deep Space High. Space for all. Quiet down, you lot. This term, I want to talk to you about what jobs you might want to do when you're a bit older and what you might have to study to get there. Right, who's first? Sam, what's your dream job? That's the trouble. I haven't got a clue. Well, we know that. (laughs) I mean... I love being here, and a job in space sounds amazing, but I just don't think I'm cut out to be, well, a rocket scientist. Rocket scientists and astronauts aren't the only people working in space exploration. Whatever your interests are, there's a job in space for you. Who here's got a hobby? Anyone want to kick things off? Quark loves kicking off. His favourite lesson is sport. I guess he might have to come down to Earth for his dream job. It's quite hard to play football in zero gravity, even with six legs. (laughs) And that's where you're wrong. Whatever subject you love, whatever your interests and hobbies might be, there's a career for you in space. But football? Really? Yes, really. Sport and fitness experts are a crucial part of space travel and living in space. Come on, I'll show you. Computer, swimming pool, simulation. With no gravity in space, you need to get used to the feeling of being nearly weightless. And where better than in water? For many years, astronauts have trained in special pools called neutral buoyancy pools, practising everything from spacewalks to making snacks. Have a try just walking about. Go on. It's quite hard to move around underwater. Nothing quite goes where you want it to. It must take them ages to get anything done. This is knackering. It does take some getting used to. Seeing as how I'm in a good mood, I'll zap us all onto dry land. End simulation. People called sports scientists and fitness experts design training programmes and make sure that anyone going into space are in the best condition before liftoff and continue to stay fit when in space. But how can you exercise when there's no gravity? The balls would just disappear into space. Computer, zero-g simulation, fitness suite. Well, this is weird. This treadmill has straps to hold me down. It's very tiring. Looks like Quark would do better in zero-g than you, Sam. That's because he's fitter by the look of it. He's got six legs. (laughs) Uh, Fair point. Okay, treadmill's off, everyone. But haven't astronauts got more important things to do than work out? Our bodies aren't built for space. They're built for a planet a lot like our Earth. Bones, heart, lungs, muscles, they all change in weightlessness. They all become weaker as they no longer have to work against gravity. 
and the longer you stay in space, the more noticeable the changes will be. Especially when you're back on good old terra firma. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Don't worry. Sports scientists are experts in knowing how bodies change as gravity changes. They design and monitor astronauts' training every step of the way. And they use tethered treadmills and cycling machines to help keep muscles in good condition. So, Quark, you can see sport and fitness fans like you are a vital member of the space team. <laughs> Next time, I'll be asking some more of you about your hobbies and interests. It's not impossible that they'll give you some ideas about other jobs in space, Sam. Although it seems impossible to get you lot to leave a room quietly. Deep Space High, space for all. With support from the UK Space Agency. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash space. Right, it's question time on the show where you send your questions as a review on Apple Podcasts. I look them up. I do the digging, I do the research, and then try and explain it to you. Uh, Just find Fun Kids Science Weekly on Apple, leave us a review, that's all you need to do. This one is from Sophie, who says, Why can't your body digest sweet corn? Sophie, is that because it's sometimes in your poo? Look, the thing is, your body can digest sweet corn. If it couldn't, would be no point in you eating it. Now, the body does break down the sweet corn, but it doesn't break down the outer shell of it which is called, made of something called cellulose. Your body doesn't have the enzymes to break that very specific thing. But the rest of it, everything that was inside the sweet corn, all of the good stuff that you need, that has been broken down, all right? Don't worry, it's just the outer stuff that's in your poo. But, you know, I, I wouldn't look too closely at that if I were you. Uh, thank you for the question, Sophie. This is from Ella in Ireland, who wants to know, when cats are angry, why are their pupils a thin line? And then why do they get wide and big sometimes? Now, there's a couple of reasons for this, Ella. The reason pupil sizes change, the pupils are the black bits right in the middle of your eye. The reason why that size changes is because of light. It happens for animals and it happens for you as well. When you or your cat, when you're in a bright place, your pupils get small and thin because they don't want to let too much light in. Uh, It's got enough. It doesn't want to be overstimulated. When you're in a dark room, though, and there's not a lot of light around, your pupils need to open wide so they can suck in any of the light that there might be, so they can see stuff. So it's for that. Also, a cat's pupil changes because of how they feel. When they're excited, when they're waiting, when they're anticipating, they get wide-eyed. When they're focused, they might get thin. Thank you for the question, Ella. Lastly, this is from Podcast Lover 4531. Who wants to know? Ooh, it's disgusting. Who wants to know what is sick made out of? Let's do this quickly. <laughs> I think, I think, let's not take too much time. We need to rattle through something about puke. You are sick when something upsets your stomach, when you're feeling a bit dodgy. We spoke about this with Adam K a few weeks ago, and it needs to get up to get out quickly. When your body wants to get rid of something that might be bad for you, it chucks it out. Sick is full of what's in your belly, mushed up food, stuff that you've drunk. It's also got something called bile in there, which is in your liver and your stomach. And it helps the food travel up and slip through your body and then out again. Let's move on. Thank you for the question, podcast lover. If you've got a question for next week's show, leave it as a review for me over on Apple Podcasts. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. We've got a little history for you today. Scientists have shown... That shoes from the 1300s caused a pandemic of bunions. Now, Dr. Jenna Dittmar worked on it. She's with us right now. Jenna, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you very much for having me. Now, just as a star, as much as you can, uh, can you paint the picture for us? Can you kind of set the scene of 1300s Britain? Sure. So this study was done in Cambridge. And during the medieval period, early medieval period, Cambridge had a population of, of about 3,500 people. Most of the people that lived there would have worked in the fields or in an agricultural related role, carpenters or tradesmen and things like that. But Cambridge also had a university at this time and a number of monasteries and clerical institutions as well. So as a very thriving market town with quite a cosmopolitan atmosphere. So there's a lot of people of, you know, all types of life being there, really. Some will be workers, some will be quite posh, will be studying. Now, thank you for that. Thank you for painting the picture. Here's the next question. Why are people researching feet from 700 years ago? What makes scientists and historians think about doing that? So this research was done as part of a larger project called After the Plague, Health and History in Medieval Cambridge. And the aim of the project was to study all aspects of medieval life to really get a sense of what people in the medieval period were living and experiencing. We studied the feet because the feet are a very important part of the body. And if you're working and you're standing on your feet all day, foot pain can be very problematic and be very troubling. So this study originally was just looking at life in general in the medieval period, not just the feet. Now, uh, then we come to these shoes. I want to, are they Poulain shoes? We think so, yes. So this is a term that's, there's several different terms actually that these types of shoes are known by. The most popular one, as you say, is uh, a Poulain. And the Poulain actually refers to the style of any style of shoe that has a long, exaggerated tip. These tips were so long that they were usually stuffed with wool or moss or something like that. So they would keep their shape. <laughs> Let me just I just need to make this clear. If you're listening and you're imagining a shoe with a long tip, it's bigger. I mean, it is much, much, much bigger than you think. It is absurdly long, the tip to this Poulain. So you, you've got the shoe, your people are researching what life was like back then. What were the signs that maybe these shoes were causing pains on people's feet? So we can see changes on the bones of the feet. I'm a paleopathologist, so this is what I do. I study human skeletal remains to try to figure out how people were living. And you can see evidence of degenerative changes on the joints of the big toe. You can see lipping on the head of the first metatarsal, which is what the bone is called. And sometimes you see evidence of arthritis that shows that the bones were misaligned during the person's life. And you can see bony projections at the base of the big toe, an area that would have become inflamed and would have become quite painful over the course of a person's life. Now, I love this. I love the idea that we can figure out that people who lived hundreds of years ago had bunions, had feet pain. Um, what I'm aware of, though, Jenna, some people might look at this study and think, mm, who cares? What's the point? Why do we need to know this? But why do we need to know this? Like, why is it important? What has it made us understand about the way people lived back then that maybe we didn't know before? <sighs> I think what this study, as well as many other archaeological studies that explore the medieval period, really tell us about medieval life is that it wasn't as different as people think. 
So we found that individuals over the age of 45 that had bunions were much more likely to have evidence that they broke a bone as the result of a fall than those people that didn't have hallux vulgus. This is exactly what we see today in the, in the modern clinical research. And it's, today we know that hallux vulgus is, is an independent risk factor for falls, especially in older adults. So it's actually showing a lot of continuity between what people in the medieval period experienced and what we're still experiencing today. Ah, I love it. I love that something so small can can open our eyes to something we'd never really thought about. I mean, these people, they were people. So, of course, they had foot pain. Uh, listen, it's been fascinating. Dr. Jenna Dittmar from Aberdeen. Thanks so much for joining us on the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you very much. For this week's Dangerous Dan, we are headed back 70 million years to have a look at the Therocinosaurus. Now, we don't know loads about this, but from the fossils that scientists have found in Asia... What we do know is that it was deadly. It looks like a big bird rising on its back legs. And it was huge. It's got a long, thick tail covered in feathers. It was colossal. It could grow up to 10 metres tall. It would be double the size of your house. It could weigh over three tonnes, which is more than a car. And on its arms, it had the largest claws of any animal ever. These things, what they found, they're like knives for fingers. You don't have fingernails, you have daggers. Like grabbing hold of scissors and running around the world 70 million years ago. Don't do it right now. That's what it looked like this dinosaur did back in the day. Now, because it was so big, it was quite slow. So while when you look at this, it would be terrifying because it's got these massive knife hands, you probably could have run away from it pretty easy. And scientists also think that it didn't really eat humans. It used these scissor fingers to chop down plants and wildlife uh, everywhere else uh, now so you could run away from it but you wouldn't need to take it on that would be silly because it's like 10 times the size of you we've just heard about the therizinosaurus on the science weekly the big birdy reptile thing with scissor fingers and now we're looking at some more because it's time to go back to the age of the dinosaurs <laughs> Age of the Dinosaur with Dinosaur Action Magazine, the number one mag for dino fans. Imagine going back in time, not 100 years or 1,000 years, but millions of years. To the Age of the Dinosaur. Welcome to the Jurassic Period which was between 145 and 200 million years ago. It was a time when plant life began to flourish once again, as newly formed oceans brought rain to many parts of the world that had previously been nothing more than dry deserts. Phew, it's really hot here. Vast, humid forests covered much of the land, but unlike the forests you see today, the Jurassic forests were full of giant ferns and tall leafy green conifers, similar to monkey puzzle trees and giant redwoods. Under this towering canopy were smaller leafy plants similar to the ferns and horsetails that we see today. Plants weren't yet producing colourful flowers to attract insects. Instead, many produced cones full of seeds and pollen or tiny capsules containing spores. It therefore wasn't a time to stop and pick a bunch of blooms. Not that you'd want to with some of the animals around. 
Uh-oh, something's coming. With trees taller than houses, dinosaurs were built to match. Huge sauropods, some reaching more than 12 metres high and others over 30 metres in length, roam the forests, reaching up high with their long necks to eat the rough leaves at the top of the tallest branches. Many lived and travelled in large herds, which helped ward off predators. Whoa, look at that one, it's huge! Ah yes, that's a Camarasaurus. Brachiosaurus and Camarasaurus were two sauropods you'd find in a Jurassic forest. Both were huge quadrupeds, meaning four-legged animals, with small heads, but long necks and large bodies. The Camarasaurus had enormous chisel-shaped teeth that could be nearly 15 centimetres long, and they helped him to chew his food, something not all sauropods could do. Don't worry, they wouldn't be interested in chewing you and me. As vegetarians, they'd rather have some tasty leaves. Quick, he's looking for more leaves. Duck! Paleontology, pick. Fossils help us understand what dinosaurs were like, but scientists didn't really start to examine fossils until only 200 years ago. Do you know how a fossil is made? After the soft parts of an animal have been eaten or rotted away, the hard parts, like the skeleton, became covered in silt, sand or earth. Over time, these layers became deeper and water flowing slowly through the rock brought minerals that started to replace the bone bit by bit. Eventually, these minerals totally replaced the original bony skeleton with an exact replica in rock and therefore preserved for fossil explorers to discover millions of years later. Prehistoric animals and plant life can also be found in amber, which is formed when a sticky resin from trees sets hard. Scientists have found insects trapped inside amber, perfectly preserved for us to see today. Age of the Dinosaur with Dinosaur Action Magazine, the number one mag for dino fans. It's time for this week's Science in the News. Scientists have spotted two rare crashes in space in just 10 days. Uh, a neutron star was sucked into a black hole. Twice! Experts knew that this could happen, but not how often. And they say that they might have to change everything they thought about space because of this. It's a massive development. Also staying up there, China's space agency has released a video of its Zhurong rover on Mars. It's looking at a place up there called Utopia Planitia. Uh, and it's driven 236 metres in 42 Mars days, which are called Sols, which are just a little bit longer than our days here on Earth. And still in space, finally, scientists have figured out that the clouds on Venus cannot hold life. Venus, the second planet from the Sun. It's a brilliant story. Hopes last year were raised that microbes could inhabit the atmosphere near Venus because of a gas they found called phosphine but they've taken some pictures of the clouds, looked at them, and they found that life forms that we know of couldn't possibly live there. It would be impossible because the clouds are mainly sulfuric acid, which is very dangerous, burning. They've only got a tiny bit of water. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Uh, if you want to come and see the show live, by the way, see experiments in front of your face in a theatre, 
ask a question of a proper genius, see some amazing stuff too. Uh, come and see Fun Kids Science Weekly Live. It's in London on the 27th of August. You can get your tickets right now at funkidslive.com. Uh, while you're there, you can listen to all the brilliant podcasts that we do. Some are about science, some are about animals. We've got loads about everything. They're also on Apple Podcasts and most places you get your shows. And Fun Kids, we're a children's radio station from the UK. Listen to us all over the country on your DAB digital radio, on that free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. <laughs> 